0: Pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribes, get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist, so I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books, and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand. Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for, and girl, have you been begging me for a book for years? Who is it for? You. The reviews are outstanding. The press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book, but our book. I realised after my talks around the world, women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away, but to have a tangible source to have forever. And this is it. This is refreshing, never-before-read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you it's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self literally glowing from within my most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you the smart girl's handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library so grab your copy today tag me on instagram at smart girl tribe and i will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you It is Mother's Day and what a perfect time to be diving into the mother wound. We all have trauma to heal with our mothers, trauma that has been passed down from generation to generation. Trauma is a result of living in a patriarchal society and trauma even the media encourages. This episode is not about blaming mothers, but explores the painful patterns, the surprising ones that cause us, the daughters, to self-sabotage ourselves. This episode explores the good girl narrative, our relationship with women, body image, perfection, the sense that there is something wrong with us and we're not enough, and also provides tangible ways you can break the cycle and heal. Bethany and I look into all of the above, the mother-daughter relationship, and also the cost of avoiding healing the mother wound. This episode me. It is so eye-opening and led me to ask some very personal questions. If you have a great relationship with your mother, a not so great relationship with your mother, if you have a mother figure in your life, or even if you have lost your mother, this episode is for you. It is not about putting the spotlight on them, but really on us, the daughters. Hi, Bethany. Thank you so much for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. I'd love to ask you, what is the mother wound, and how does it show up in someone's life? Hi, Scarlett. It's great to be here. The mother wound is the
1: internalized ways that we learn to sabotage and limit ourselves that were inherited from you know the dynamics that we experienced in our relationship with our mothers, and to. I like to think about it in terms of patriarchy um, as the context for how the mother wound shows up in our lives as women. Patriarchy, when I use that word, I'm just referring to like the larger atmosphere in which, you know, our mothers and our grandmothers, you know, grew up, which was this large cultural tone of there's something wrong with women or women are somehow less than. And that that atmosphere of patriarchy really kind of corrodes the mother-daughter relationship because mothers have to kind of teach their daughters how to survive in a world that doesn't value them as much as men. So women often as moms will teach their daughters not to rock the boat or not to be too loud or to put other people's needs ahead of theirs or... Um, you know, caretaking behaviors are rewarded. So there's a lot of ways that we learn these self-limiting behaviors as a way to survive in the world and the way to get approval, um, to make it on our own, um, to get relationships that work, you know, that seem to work. Um, And that all seems to go well until we're adult women and we really want to go beyond, you know, a lot of what our mothers or grandmothers have experienced or done. You know, we might want to innovate in different ways. We might want to have different kinds of relationships. We might want to improve, you know, our career or our, you know, really expand our potential. So all of these things that we long to do as women often compete with the very, you know, kind of coping mechanisms that we learned to get approval. Mm-hmm. So another way of saying this is like our our need for love, safety, and belonging with our mothers got kind of intersected with pat- the patriarchal world, and so our survival and the ways that we get love often are self sabotaging, and they can be very subtle, and things that were modeled for us by our moms often out of a way just to help us survive in very, you know, well-meaning ways. So this is kind of a large, complicated issue, but I see it as the most important work, inner work that a woman can do, because as we heal the mother wound, we also help to, you know, heal from patriarchy that has been passed down through many generations. And we start to really access our power and our authenticity which has been kind of hiding underneath this need to be safe and loved and approved of. So we have to create that kind of inner security, a kind of inner bond. And I teach that through my work and I call it inner mothering. You know, how do we mother ourselves in the ways that we needed our moms to so that we can fill that mother gap and actually create a kind of new template, right? A new sense of self that allows us to feel safe with going beyond where our mothers or grandmothers have gone.
0: Is a mother wound different for women and men or is the wound the same? The wound is similar, but it shows up differently for
1: men and women. And the reason why that is, is because of the gender kind of expectations, the entrenched kind of stereotype, stereotypes that exist for men and women. So for example, for women it's different because we're often expected to like always be friends with our mothers. there's kind of a codependency that the culture encourages. So it might feel really taboo or kind of scary to want to be our own individual, like to do things differently than our moms or, um, some, some women go the other way and they rebel against their mothers from the beginning. Um, but I know that many of us though, try to, kind of please our moms to try to get our freedom that way, but we find that there's kind of this uncomfortable tension where it feels like we can't fully be ourselves around our moms, um, and that our moms in a way might need us to be a certain way for her to feel you, you know useful and helpful and lovable as well. So in some ways, as women, we're more sensitive to the subtle needs of our mothers, whereas men are more likely in some cases, to be kind of encouraged to go away from their moms, to be separate, to be different. Um, so, however, there are men who have a codependency and enmeshment with their moms. You know, some moms um, might not even realize that they might be parentifying their sons, meaning like making them the, the main man in their life or um, making the, the son feel responsible for you know the mother's well-being so enmeshment can happen in with both men and women um and there's difficulties you know of, of a different you know there's difficulties for all of us with the mother wound we all have it to some degree because of the patriarchal atmosphere that women and mothers have had to cope with um but it, it does manifest differently. And I think that that's the main reason. One is as women, we share a gender identity with our mothers generally. Um, so we're expected to kind of be like follow in their footsteps or please them more than sons generally are. Sons are generally more encouraged to be differentiated, to be separate. Um, that's tolerated more for men in the culture.
0: When it comes to boys and girls. Growing up, I have read many different articles. And there are two recurring themes I have personally discovered, if you like, that mothers tend to have, or women, I should say, tend to have a different kind of relationship, almost a more special relationship with their sons. And I have also seen this among my friends. I've spoken to them who have had daughters and then sons, and they have said the bond, the love is just very different. It's a very special bond. And then equally, I have read a lot of content suggesting that in order for you to grow as a woman, you have to, and I quote, kill your mother. So could we just explain this? (laughs) this
1: wow, that's some extreme language, I wouldn't put it like that. Um, But okay, so you know, I think it it varies with in terms of individual woman and what her relationship is like with her child, whether it's male or female. I can say from experience with me, uh, with my own mother, she had a very tumultuous relationship with her mother where she had to kind of take care of her mother. She had to kind of suppress her feelings uh, for her mother. So when she had me, um, my experience of her and my perceptions of her uh, through the years was that she really needed me in some ways to be the mother for her because she was in such a deprived place herself and her husband my father was not emotionally present with her he was kind of absent so i she needed me to fill that role which was an impossible burden on my shoulders as a kid cuz there's no way a child can make a mother feel worthy safe valuable worthy of living that's an incredible you know burden i think you know it really comes down to and and to put it bluntly how much healing a mother has done on her own childhood history. And depending upon that, you know, number one, how traumatized are you as a mother? What did you go through in your life, you know, as a child with your own family of origin? We need to normalize having a clear picture of, you know, what we went through in our, pain, in our childhood histories, because whatever we do not acknowledge or work through, we project it onto our kids. And so, the way that that projection kind of plays out is really linked to the specifics of what you went through with your own parent. So, it's difficult to like make these like blanket statements, but that's the one blanket statement I will make is that, um, you know, your inner child, whatever deficits of what you didn't get often become projected onto your child. And so, if you had more of a wound with your dad, it's possible that it could be like with your son, it could feel like, oh, this is like a new way for me to relate to a male child that's safe, that's not threatening to me. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think we just have to be conscious of what's going on in, inside of us when we're dealing with our kids, because they will bear the burden of whatever we don't own, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Does that make sense? (laughs) No, it absolutely does. And what are some ways that a mother isn't present or emotionally attuned, you being the expert, what would you say are maybe some surprising ways that you would say, oh, actually, this is what I've noticed speaking to so many people that in their childhoods, these are maybe the most common, the most surprising ways that a mother hasn't necessarily shown up for her children, even ways that maybe be deemed normal.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about this earlier today. I think that a very common but damaging dynamic that occurs, I think especially like in the parenting years of like the 70s, 80s and 90s, um at that at that time parenting and like childhood development was a, was a lot of focus on behavior modification and Kind of like helping children behave. You could even say in the 50s, it was even worse. It was more like children are seen and not heard. And then, you know, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it seemed like it was more like, yeah, how do we get children to behave? So it was a lot about reinforcements and punishment and what kind of punishment and um, just different methods of how do we make children behave. And now, you know, in 2022, I'm so encouraged to see that. It's shifted Um, because the damage that's done through that behavior modification focus is that the child is supposed to be like an adult, you know, if it, but the the truth, the reality is children are not little adults and children actually lack the impulse control and the ability to self-regulate, you know, their emotions. They lack the cognitive capacity. No matter what kind of behavior modification things we do, kids just don't have the capacity to act like adults, like sitting still, you know, um, things like that. So nowadays, I'm so happy because I think there's a lot of parenting that's more trauma informed that talks about how, you know, the quality of the child's behavior actually depends on the quality of the relationship a parent has with him or herself. So the parent, the adult is really the one that sets the tone for the relationship, not the child's behavior, right? So it puts the responsibility not on the child to behave, but on the parent to be aware and conscious of what they're doing, what signals they're sending, um, and the kind of expectations that they're setting that may not be appropriate. At all. Um, Janet Lansbury is someone who I follow. She writes about respectful parenting. And one of the things she says is, I actually want to find it for you because it's such a powerful quote. Um, and I recommend that you follow Janet Lansbury if you're interested in the mother wound and, and how all this plays out because what we're learning through the practice practice of inner mothering is how do we mother the child within us? Janet says, Respecting children means understanding their stage of development, not reacting to their age-appropriate behavior as if they are our peers. So it's about what she's saying is it's really about, you know, respecting the the very real limitations that children have and really remembering that the way we respond has more to do with our relationship with ourselves. Does that make sense?
0: No, it, it does. And I appreciate your honesty and for sharing this wisdom. One thing I would love to ask is our audience on the whole, I do think maybe a little too young to be parents, but I'm sure many are listening who are parents. So what would you say? Yeah. Being the expert, Bethany, what would you say are some big no-nos when it comes to as a mother talking to your children? What are some of the biggest mistakes when it comes to language and vocabulary that you hear mothers, in particular, making? In hearing
1: what women have struggled with and the and the, the messages that they struggle with as adults, that they that come from their childhood, that feel deeply limiting for them as adults, not explaining enough to children, you know, what's going on. I think a lot of what happens is children are naturally, you know, self-absorbed because they lack the cognitive capacity, right? So children automatically assume that when things are going wrong in the environment, that it's about them. And this can last into our adult lives. I'll give an example. Um, A friend of mine um, who. Her mother was sick early in her life. She had an illness um, and no one ever told her what was going on. They just pretended like it wasn't happening. And so this was terrifying for my friend because she was like, why is my mom acting weird? Why is no one telling me what's going on? There must be something wrong with me. Um, I can tell something's wrong, but no one's acknowledging it. Um, so she lived in a lot of fear. Um And so no one, there was no adult that came to her and said, Hey, you know what? We just realized, you know, your mom got a diagnosis of this thing and she is sick, but everything's going to be okay. She's going to get the care she needs and you're going to be fine. And there's nothing you've done wrong at all. You are, you know, you get to be a kid. No, we got you. We're supporting you. Mom's going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like there was no narrative in which she felt that there was an adult at the wheel, Right. So I think reminding it's good to remember that kids just assume they're the problem and they'll that shame they might absorb can stay with them forever. And a good way to you know remember this, because I I'm not a mother myself, and I work with women who some are mothers and some are not. I tend I tend to advise people to think about what did you need from your mother that you didn't get, you know, and it's different for all of us. And one of the ways that we can help heal ourselves and also show up more powerfully in our lives is to start to give those things to ourselves that we needed um, and to ask for what we needed. So one of my friend, one of the things that she does is really takes responsibility when she gets a trigger, maybe with a friend or with a family member where she's like, you know, explicitly talk. It's really healing for her to, to have people explain what's going on with them or what's happening. Um, rather than to make assumptions, right? So the deficits that we experience as children kind of position us to be in these places where we replicate them. So the more we can be conscious of what we went through and how it shows up now, the more equipped we are to make empowered choices about it. Um, And that's one of the things I try to teach in all the articles I write, the classes I teach, the books I write is to really help women to make that link quickly between, I'm triggered right now to okay how can what actually is this about and to make it a habit of kind of inquiring into easily finding out what the triggers about that way you you don't feel at the mercy of your emotions or at the mercy of your triggers you start to feel more at choice about how you want to show up uh, with other people
0: and can we talk a little bit about the mother-daughter relationship why is it? so particular, if you like, why is it so... I don't even want to use the adjective special because I don't find it necessarily special, but very different from any other relationship that we have (laughs) from any other human.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think because it's very multi-layered. You know, patriarchy is really about power over. It's, It's like this... This principle of domination that humanity has lived under for thousands of years. And in a female to female relationship, it becomes complex because females are not allowed culturally to express aggression or power overtly. So the way women express power is usually underground in these kind of subtle, underhanded, uh, manipulative ways. I mean, think about it as women and little girls, to some degree, for many generations have been taught, don't, don't, don't explain your feelings. Don't share your needs. Nobody wants to hear that, you know, just put everybody first, you know, pretend like everything's fine. And so women have had to live under this for centuries, but of course that festers attention within oneself because we're fully human beings. We have a very full repertoire of feelings and needs and complex emotions. And yet we haven't been able to express that. Our full humanity is still not happening in our culture. So this kind of tension shows up between women because it's like, there's this backdrop of scarcity. Like only one of us can be powerful or only one of us can be loved. And it really shows up in the mother-daughter relationship because there's also a power differential there. The mother always has more power than the daughter. So the mother's always going to win. And to make it even more complex, The cultural vibe around mothers, I know you just had Mother's Day in the UK, is that mothers are loving all the time. Mothers always have goodwill and benevolence, but that's not the truth. So mothers are, there's a complex relationship, wounded relationship that society has with mothers. They're either loved or hated. And so they're either saints or they're blamed for everything. So this also complicates how a daughter can relate to her own mother because there's no place for her authentic feelings, which are always much more complex than what the culture will allow. So it's like, there's a lot of tension between mothers and daughters for all those reasons. A lot of them have to do with power, with scarcity, with not being able to be real or authentic. And often we bring our deprivation to the feet of other women, whatever we did not get with our mothers Whatever longings or fears we have with our moms, we bring them to our female relationships. Whether they're friendships, bosses, colleagues, or lovers, we can't help but project that the deficits and the fears and the longings onto other women. Um, so it, it's like the mother wound continues in those ways. But those relationships also offer us profound opportunities to heal and to do things differently.
0: There is this famous theory that we all, as women, end up as our mothers. We all end up becoming our mothers. Would you agree with that statement? No. Is this because if we decided as daughters to heal, then we become different? Or would you just say naturally daughters are very different to their mothers, because in my experience, a lot of the women around me are versions of their mothers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Many of them are. I, I would agree with that. I would say some and many definitely are like their mothers, and then some are just fundamentally different, like they, they're not similar to their mothers, um, and then others do heal and change and grow and go beyond what their mothers are like but I would also agree that a lot of women have a fear of becoming their mothers. I talk about this in my book. There's like this fear of like, Oh my God, I don't want to turn into my mother or, Oh, I just did something that seemed like something my mother would do, you know? Um, I remember when I was living in New York City, I would walk down the street and sometimes I would see my reflection in the glass of a building or something and I would jump like it was just like, oh, I look just like her. Um, But I think there's a healthy fear there. And I, you know, some people shame others for that, like, oh, that's being unkind to your mother. I see that as actually kind of a healthy thing um, where it's not really about our mothers necessarily. Um, It's really about, oh, I don't want to repeat certain things that I'm seeing that are not healthy or that are not wise or that are not good for me. Um, We might sense our mother's discontent, her bitterness or her unmet dreams, unfulfilled goals. So there's a healthy trepidation there. And I think that that should give us pause, not shame. It's just something to reflect on. Like, okay, well, how can I be my true individual self? I think the women who do turn into their mothers just are on a track where they're just falling into the path of least resistance and going into what the path has been laid. And that might not necessarily be what they want. If it is what they want, that's fine. But I'd say the, the more conscious we can be about this relationship, the better because it's really a template for relationships with ourselves. To go back to your question earlier, the way our mothers treated us gets internalized as a child as to a sense of self. And that's another reason why this relationship is so powerful. Um, It's developmentally, we were one with our mothers. We started out our existence as a blended being with our mothers. So she's really literally the raw material from which we were cast. So it takes effort. It takes the kind of courage and the fortitude and some tools to be your own person. It takes work. And so I encourage people to forge your own path. You know, you don't have to, you can do it. Some people are scared. Like if I question my beliefs or what I grew into, or if I question what my mother taught me, maybe that will make me unsafe in some way, or maybe I'll create suffering for myself if I am too different, or if I go off the beaten track, so to speak. And I would say, it's part of being a healthy self-responsible adult it's our obligation to question the the beliefs and the you know to look critically at them so that we can really choose what we believe and what we think rather than just kind of swallowing what's been given to us so it's just an adventure this is part of the adventure of you know um differentiation which is i think really important for women like i said earlier the culture encourages a codependency and enmeshment with mothers and daughters and so To be truly initiated into your own life, you have to be passionate about, yeah, like finding out who you are and having integrity. And and it's not always an easy path.
0: Mm, Completely. And you have touched on a couple of very specific examples of how the patriarchy has contributed to the mother wound. Are there any other examples that you would be happy to add? Well, I would say that
1: the ways that the mother wound shows up for us as women, there's many, many ways it can show up. Um, But the main ones I see the most often are feeling, you know, feeling competitive with other women, feeling like we have to compare ourselves to one another, that we always have to be one up, that we have to kind of fight to be accepted. Um, Also, you know, feeling, it can also be partly due to like depression or addictions, you know, the ways in which we seek comfort, um, but we don't feel safe emotionally, right? So it can also be about shame, shame shame-based things. The mother wound is always present to some degree in like issues around food and body image um, as well, because think about it, our mothers, our body we, the way we learn to relate to our bodies was modeled to us by our mothers. And our mothers, of course, may have struggled themselves with the, the standards and the unrealistic, impossible body image that's out there for women. So it's just another way that we learn, like, there's this impossible struggle between how do I be myself and how do I get loved? And it's like, we're all trying to answer that question of like, I want to be myself. I want to be authentic, but I want to fit in. So it's like, how can I belong and be my own individual? Mm-hmm. And that tension between women is often on that hinges on that, you
0: know? I would say really in summary that, as you mentioned at the very beginning, Bethany, that we have been in this patriarchal system for so many centuries And as women have given birth to women, they have almost projected these patriarchal societal standards, beliefs and messages onto these younger girls. And then they've then become mothers and it has carried on, etc. So what are the most common issues that arise as a result of a mother if she doesn't heal as maybe she should.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of moms, a lot of our mothers went through incredible hardship, you know, some degree of hardship. All of them did all of our mothers, some degree they had to put up with maybe their, you know, maybe even like things like trauma and assault in their own families, um, as well as discrimination and women of color, even more so, um, you know, being, you know, not being seen as equal, being paid less, domestic violence. There's a lot of ways that women experience hardship in the world. And unfortunately, a lot of these mothers, aging mothers, didn't have the fortitude or the tools. So a lot of them haven't done a lot of healing work. And I think it's important to look at our mothers with compassion, you know, with the eyes of compassion. And also to feel compassion for ourselves that, you know, we don't have, we can feel compassion for our mothers and her pain, but we cannot carry her pain, right? There's a difference. So we want to have compassion and boundaries. Because what often happens in a mother daughter relationship is, <laughs> I like to say, the third person in your relationship with your mother is actually her inner child, the child in her that feels deprived uh, enraged, um, that scarce emotional resources, whatever she didn't get, she's going to project onto you. And often the mother is not even aware of it. So in moments, this can be confusing. A mother can vacillate between adult, like, you know, very healthy motherly behaviors. She might unpredictably flip into being like in a child mode. A mother can start sulking, demanding, um, she can start, um, I like to call them mother tantrums. I talk about this in my book, where um, a mother can just kind of revert back to some immature, petty behaviors. Some mothers are even a little sadistic. They like to one up their daughter. Um, And sometimes this aggressive, immature behavior is really the result of the child in her, right? It's not really, it's like the, the mother blends her adult consciousness blends with the consciousness of her inner child Mm. because the inner child is not consciously acknowledged. So it's like this shadow player in the relationship. And this is an impossible situation for a daughter because she's basically dealing with another child being bullied or manipulated by another child inside of her mother and the mother always has the adult status and so can control the narrative. So it can be quite terrifying and despairing situation for a child. And then as an adult woman, often these kind of mothers don't, you know, don't tolerate very well when a daughter has boundaries or wants to have a differing value or belief system from her mother, from her daughter. So, um, from her mother sorry. So it it sets the daughter up for a lot of confusion and um so a lot of the coaching work I do is to help women who want to shift that dynamic because after a while it can create a lot of suffering. It's like no matter what you say, no matter, no matter what you do, no matter how much compassion you have for your mother, it doesn't change and so the relationship becomes something that you have to endure rather than something that nourishes you, right? Because the truth is that as i mentioned earlier we as women cannot heal our mother's pain we can't you know resolve or fix some of this stuff that's really about her original trauma so in a way it's really a gift to our mothers when we can show up in our sovereign adult empowered space because it gives the mother a chance to actually come to terms with her situation. When we coddle our mothers, downplay any toxic behavior or minimize it or make excuses for it, or even if we try to mother our mothers into some kind of healthier space, um, that's really a waste of our energy because it doesn't ultimately fix or help anyone. So The best thing a daughter can do is to really work on her own healing work. And again, this isn't blaming our moms or making them wrong. It's just acknowledging the shadow of, you know, it's a tragic situation. You know, it's, it ultimately, it's not about our mothers in the end. It's more like, how do we want to show up as adult daughters so that we can really be our best self without shame, without guilt, and without carrying these, these wounds
0: forward. Mm And. I love that we've talked about the patriarchal society, I would, and the effects that it has had. So how can intergenerational trauma have an effect on the mother wound as well? Because obviously trauma that our grandmothers have gone through that creates a wound in our mothers. And then we are the daughters of those mothers. So can we explore intergenerational trauma a little bit? Yeah. It's basically what I just said earlier. It's it's all about, it all comes
1: down to being conscious of your inner child, what you didn't get, what was passed down to you. What are the places in your life where you experience struggle? You know, what are the areas of your life or what are the relationship dynamics that trigger you? You know, really just getting a real sense of like, what do I carry from my own mother? And for some women, that even that exploration is really scary because there's this feeling like I'm abandoning my mother if I look at my history, or I'm ungrateful if I even acknowledge how much she hurt me, or I must be a bad person if I think about myself. Like she had it so much worse than me. So I should just just stop this exploration entirely. Um, and so it's really, that's how I think how it's been is that many women have lived like that, where they just put the kibosh on it. And it's just like, I'm not going there, but it's a tragedy because if we don't explore our trauma and our mother wound, we will, we are doomed to repeat it. We will repeat it. It's just how humans are set up. So that my goal is to really kind of create this, this really inspiring, affirming vision that the mother wound isn't something we need to be ashamed of. We're not being bad people when we acknowledge our own pain. This is actually the epitome of, of you know, adult responsibility and maturity, right? So we wanna normalize that everybody has a little bit of trauma, everybody has a little bit of the mother wound and it's not something that makes us wrong, bad or shameful. It's just part of the human condition and you know, getting the tools for the journey and seeing yourself as like a pioneer, like a change agent and lifting that burden from future women, whether you're a mom yourself or like me, you might not be a mom, but you have influence. We want to not project, you know, our wounds onto others as much as possible. You know, it's good. We can't be perfect and we can't expect to heal everything in one life. And that's kind of part of the healing too, is to really embrace your imperfections and allow yourself to grow without having to be perfect. You know, um, capitalism has this Has us thinking that we can like buy our way into some healed utopia. And that's just not the way it is. We're not robots. We need to rebel against that. You know, healing takes place very slowly and organically in those private, unglamorous moments. When you do something empowering, like when you set a boundary or when you don't disengage with the toxic dynamic or when you, you know, request more space from your mother if you need that. Or you, you know, get really committed to your healing path. These are things the world is never going to see that doesn't give us status. Mm-hmm. And we should be chasing, you know, let go of the status, because that really doesn't get us anywhere. It, nothing, nowhere really that's going to feed us. The, the places that are really going to feed us is when we deepen our connection with ourselves and we're willing to, you know, be on the journey, commit to the journey. That's where all the goodies really lie.
0: Mm -hmm. no I love that (laughs) I love that advice and I love the emphasis on needing to heal yourself and almost hold yourself accountable and take responsibility for the daughter if you're so fortunate that you will have and future generations so touching on this a little bit the healing journey I find that on the whole it's very easy especially nowadays to advise that someone go to therapy, but not all. Um, I mean, therapy isn't accessible to everybody and it certainly isn't affordable. So what tools or tangible tips or tricks would you advise Bethany for anyone hoping to heal themselves when it comes to the mother wound, but outside of going to therapy?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of things you can do. Um, and I have a free community as well that you can join where I share tips and tools. Uh, my Facebook group is, is a place where I offer a lot of that. And my my website has a lot of free articles and books and, and things to explore free of charge. But I would say if you want to get started right away, some things that you can do are to reflect on, you know, what is my relationship with my mother like? Where are the places that I feel stressed out what did my mother teach me about things like my body? Like what were my mother's views about her body? What were her views about money? What were her views about sexuality? Like go through all the main areas of life and think about what did you learn from your mother about those things? And then how did her views and beliefs affect you? This is an interesting, um, I call it a mother inventory because you can start to see, where you kind of overlap with your mother or maybe where you've taken on beliefs that aren't really true for you, you know? Um, so it's about just kind of like reflecting on that relationship. What is difficult about it? If you could have any relationship with your mother that you wanted to, like if you could change it, what would it be like and why, you know? And then also what are some ways that you can start to show up more empowered with your mother, a small step, that would feel empowering, but not too big that it feels overwhelming. I know for a lot of women, one of the things that feels really tough is to be your authentic self around your mother. There's this feeling like you have to present a certain mask or like that it's not safe to be real. Um, And I invite women to start to take some step in doing that, like whether it's just saying, you know, I don't feel like coming over or I don't feel like having company or just some small steps where you can start to be authentic because what that does is it sends a message to your inner child that it's safe to be real. It's safe to be true to yourself. Another step I would invite people to do is think about your mother gap. What is the gap between what you needed from your mother and what you actually received? And how can you start to give that to yourself now? So starting a relationship with your inner child, get a picture of yourself as a little girl or a teenager, whatever age feels appropriate for you and start to just her some loving, you know, sincerely tender, you know, messages to her. It could be like, I'm here with you now. I'm here to take care of you. I'm sorry you went through so much. Um, and I'm learning how to be the mother to you that you needed. Um, so bringing some messages like that into your daily life The exciting thing is that the inner child is not just an idea. It's not a concept. It's actually a living energy inside of you. Um, When we're doing what I call inner mothering, which is what I teach in my online course, um, you're actually creating new pathways in the brain between the amygdala, which is where a lot of our fight, flight, or freeze responses live. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the newer part of our brain where sophisticated things like language and abstract thinking um, live and um, a lot of the inner child, like our very primitive responses due to trauma, live in the amygdala. And we usually, most humans just kind of cycle through those triggers. But triggers are really opportunities for healing to rework that neurocircuitry. The truth is we we can't heal through reading or like just book knowledge. We have to feel it to heal it. So when we're triggered, it's actually a sign that that neuro-trigger, neurocircuitry is activated and it's ready to be rewired. Like we need a live wire to rewire. So um, when we're doing inner mothering work, we're actually creating new pathways between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex that are experienced by us over time as more possibilities, new options and choices on ways to be and respond. So we're not just kind of reacting all the time because that doesn't feel good. That feels stuck, right? Um, So the amygdala needs more data. It needs us to give it new information that now it's safe. You know, healing the mother wound is really about how do we become safe? How do we feel safe in our bodies? How do we create this inner safety that we didn't have as kids? Because it's like the mother wound is like an invisible fence that keeps us confined in certain thoughts and behaviors. We want to get out of that invisible fence. And the way that we do that is by working with our triggers and by helping the inner child feel safe with these new ways of being like for example if you were a little girl and it wasn't safe to speak your truth in your family if you were silenced if you were shamed if you were humiliated for being real you might hide and be afraid of being visible or exposed you know either, either like things like public speaking or um even being a public figure so we have to give that little girl inside more data that it's it's not we're not stuck in the past anymore that we're in a new world we're in the present moment that already happened and it's safe now. So she's not going to learn that just through concepts or you know just saying, oh, we're safe now. We need to actually be in that context again and then experience it not as traumatizing, but as safer. Like we can survive this. Um, and through that new data, these are how these pathways are formed. But of course, in the beginning, when we lay a new pathway, it's not like the super highway of our traumatic pathways that have been laid down maybe millions of times. We have to create a new path in the woods that's like, oh my gosh, it's hard in the beginning. It feels
0: scary, right? But with time, we can do it. What are some ways then that, or some additional ways that we can mother ourselves and heal the little girl inside of us?
1: There's lots of awesome ways to do it. And um, one of my, some of my favorite ways are to bring more joy into your life. What were some things that you love to do as a little girl? And to start doing them. Uh, That is really fun. Like the the best antidote to trauma is fun, laughter, playfulness. And one of the things I did when I first started getting really onto this path was um, I was going through a tough time. I I got a divorce and I was living alone and um, I was happy, but it was very much like a scary kind of time. And my inner child was, of course, she was feeling scared And one of the things I did to nurture her was I got on eBay and I just found like, what would my inner child love like more than anything? So I found like a 1980s Cabbage Patch doll in the box. And I took a long time to allow her to pick it out. Like, what do you want? Which is the one, you know, and we got it. And then it came to the house and there was this elaborate like unwrapping ceremony. And it was powerful for my inner child because it was like, I get to have what I want. I get to have something that's just for me. I get to enjoy it. I get to play. Um it was it was it was a healing experience. So the most potent ways to nurture your inner child really come from what did you, what really excited you as a little girl? What caused you to giggle? What was, you know, follow the giggles. And you know, maybe it's playing outside, maybe it's drawing. You know, it could be anything, but making the time for that. Another powerful thing I highly recommend and I, these are all things I do. Like, I don't teach anything that I haven't done or practiced. Uh, one of them is to write down, like, some really potent messages or affirmations that I read multiple times a day. And I call them my guardrails. And they just keep you in a positive, loving state in the present moment. Um, like, for example, for me, one of the things I struggled with the most was hypervigilance. As a parentified daughter, I felt like "Mm, there's no adult at the wheel. Anything could go wrong at any moment. So my inner child, you know, I just grew up with like a very strong background of fear. Even when everything was great, everything was fine. I couldn't really trust that. So um, one of the things I, you know, say to my inner child every day is everything is truly and deeply okay. All is deeply well. You are loved and looked after. It's okay to relax and enjoy I read that multiple times a day and it brings this yummy feeling like, yeah, everything's deeply okay. Um, So for every one of us, I think there can be a really potent message that will help the inner child stay rooted and anchored in the positive, loving truth of the moment and the more we can stay there and nourish and nurture, reassure that inner child, the less she will hijack our system and we'll start to, you know, those moments are scary. We've all had them where we start to feel like a really terrified little child and we start to look through those eyes and we start to make choices that aren't good. So the more we can, this is really about differentiating between our inner child and our inner mother, like our adult self. One of the things I advise people to do is pay attention, notice yourself. What are the moments when you kind of collapse into an inner child place? And what are the moments when you're in your empowered adult self? Like, what is the flavor of that? What is the signature of that? Become familiar with the flavors of your inner child and your inner, you know, your adult self, because the more you can recognize those signals, the less you're going to get bowled over into a trigger that can cause you know, can be problematic. So it's like recognizing that quicker and quicker, staying rooted in the present moment. And then we can, you know, the ultimate goal is to be more in our adult self more of the time. So we're not blending with the inner child, not projecting her, but instead she's deeply, safely tucked inside of us, feeling loved and secure. And in effect, what I've seen is that as the inner child is loved and safe and tucked in, she really trusts the adult self. You become unstoppable as a woman. You you tolerate less bullshit in your life. You have higher standards for your relationships. You feel much more comfortable going for what you want. You, you feel the, the reality of your exceptionalness. You feel worthy. You can enjoy, you know, life becomes less about how do I prove myself or whatever. It's more like life is so awesome. Like there's so much to enjoy and it's more about the simple beauty of life and really feeling alive and feeling like a blessed child of the universe. Like I belong here. I'm meant to be here and I have so much to share. So it becomes more about enjoying and living and less about striving and proving and pushing, which are really compensations for not feeling safe when we were children.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And I have a very interesting kind of footnotes question to add just my curiosity. Have You found ever in your experience that the more and more us daughters are healing and becoming these empowered women, the more we're triggering men in a way because we're not living up to this patriarchal standard, if you like. Have you ever found that, Bethany? I definitely agree, Scarlett. I've
1: seen it in my clients, in my own life and the women that are in my course, and this is just true across the board, not even just in marriages, but definitely in marriages, you know, it's like some marriages can handle it. If there's, you know, enough resilience there and the partner, um, he can handle it. I've definitely seen marriages become stronger and partnerships become stronger, but the majority are like, there's like a shakeup that happens, a rupture. And it becomes an open question whether the relationship can handle the turbulence that naturally happens when a woman starts to heal from those original dynamics, those original painful dynamics, um, and evolve into oftentimes feeling uh, very much, you know, a sense of a validity to her needs and to her feelings and thoughts and so if the relationship prior to that was built upon her acquiescence her sub, her subservience then it 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 will experience turbulence and it probably won't survive and that's a good thing because we don't <laughs> we don't want to stay in systems that can't that can't handle us. I mean in my situation it was my family of origin I had been in therapy for 15 years with the same therapist, deep attachment, depth psychotherapy. And it was just to the point where I was becoming more and more empowered, more spoken out, more outspoken and more, I don't know, just, I felt more of my worth and I was able to set boundaries and speak out more and feel more justified and just, and, and just also confident. And I think my family of origin was just not set up. They could not handle me. The system is too turbulent. Mm. It was shaking things up so much for me to try to relate to them in this new way, meaning like I had a new value system. Love meant something different to me than it meant to them. Um, Family loyalty, they expected something which required my subservience, and that was not something I was willing to do. So ultimately, I had to go no contact with my family, and many of them happily said goodbye, Bethany, because I represented a threat to them. Because... I mean if you think about it it's valid where they're coming from if they haven't done any comparable inner work on themselves if they have no awareness of their own patterns and they have no desire then there's then it, you really are actually speaking a, a different language mm-hmm. and it becomes very difficult to try to meet in the middle and and I you know now I just I'm like you know where my family is they're at a valid place in their journey you know, it's, it's worthy of respect. It's just not something that I
0: can allow into my life anymore. Mm -hmm. What questions can we ask ourselves to heal our mother wound? Maybe any particular questions, not only we can ask ourselves, but we can journal about if you have any prompts there.
1: Yeah. Um, There's so much, and I think I mentioned a lot of them already, but, you know, yeah, getting just more clarity on what triggers you about your mother. What was it like growing up for you? Another thing you can do is look at different stages of your life. So what was it like when you were a child? If you have memories, you know, what was it like when you were a teenager? You know, because at different stages of our lives, different things happen and and shaped us in different ways. I recently did a... A training about the inner teenager, which was very powerful. It was very popular for us to think about, yeah, what was going on when we were teens? And that's really a time when a lot of women experience extreme uh, difficulty, you know, with how do I stay true to myself, but I'm now being ushered and initiated into patriarchal culture and all of its oppressions. And sometimes our mothers can buffer and help us, or sometimes they can we can feel abandoned by our mothers in those teen years because she can actually add to the pressure. Um, So I invite people to think about their teenage years as well. Um, Because sometimes during that time, if we didn't feel supported, we can develop a kind of fight of the inner teenager that can be actually wanting to protect us, but can actually be self-sabotaging and reinforce some of the very patriarchal behaviors that we're trying to heal. So looking at, the ways that we had to protect ourselves, what were those things? How did we rebel? How did we preserve our sense of self amidst all of these pressures? Um, and I think the most important thing that we can do, Scarlett, is, is most importantly is in asking these questions with the with, a, with an eye towards, how can I nurture this inner child in me now? How can I help this inner teenager? Um, so building in nurturing self-care activities every day towards your inner child, the more we can build that trust with the child in us, the more we can easily move into new opportunities, new possibilities for ourselves. So I want to impress that on everybody that it's really this bond with the inner child and the practice of inner mothering. That is everything. It's central. It's the central point of change. So, um, and it can take time to build that relationship. Um, so asking your inner child questions is great. Um, asking her what she needs, telling her you're going to be here for her now. It might seem awkward or kind of clunky in the beginning, and that's totally normal. It gets easier over time. We just have to stick with it long enough for it to start to get easier. It's like learning a new language or you know, it really is a new relationship with a part of you. She's a living energy that really lives inside of you. Um, one of the things the inner teenager really ha- uh, responds well to is telling your inner teenager, I really appreciate you. I really honor you. I really respect you. Many of our inner teenagers did not feel heard. they might have felt dismissed, um, humiliated. and and so it's really important that the inner teen feels heard. So and many of our inner teens are forces for good. when the inner teenager is really um, when we develop trust with her, she's rooted in truth and justice. And so her voice is part of our power. She she holds a lot of our power of speaking out, standing our grounds, um, being uh, compassionate, but also um, you know being our own original selves, like bucking the crowd, not feeling like we have to be doing what the crowd's doing. So there's a lot of originality and a lot of um, innovation and free thinking that come from the inner teenager. So there's many many riches for us to experience and integrate into ourselves as we build that trust with the inner child. And one of the things you can say to even your inner teen or the younger, younger age, whatever feels right to you is something like, I'm willing to do what it takes to earn your trust. I know it might take some time and I'm here, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to earn your trust. It's okay that you don't trust me right now. You know, you've been through a lot and adults haven't been very trustworthy. So I honor your, what, the time you need to, to, to really trust me. So it's about consistency and sincerity.
0: I love that. And what is the relationship between the mother wound and the divine feminine?
1: I don't think we can embody the divine feminine until we've healed the mother wound. You could say that, or at least at, to a certain point on the journey. I mean, I'm still healing my mother wound. You know, it's it's a, like a lifetime journey. And I'm just sharing what I've learned along the way, but we, you know, I see a lot of ungrounded, you know, in the coaching world, you can really see a lot out there. And I don't know if we can fully embody the goddess or the divine feminine, if we haven't yet addressed the ways in which we have felt in exile or rejected from the feminine. So there's a lot of shadow. The mother wound is really shadow work. It's really looking at what we didn't get, the fears and terrors and longings that we've been forced to put into the basement of our being, right? Like to survive our families, which were all dysfunctional to some degree, we had to split off from our truth. And so as adults, our responsibility is to go full circle and take those children and us that were disowned or humiliated or rejected and, and process whatever was not safe to process when we were children. Otherwise we just keep projecting it outwards. So um, the divine feminine, the expression of the divine feminine is a byproduct of healing our trauma.
0: Amazing. I also end the podcast with two questions. The first being, what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by, Bethany? We can't be empowered
1: as women as long as the inner child still believes the patriarchal myths that she learned from her own mother growing up. So basically, you know, we can do all the right things. We can take workshops, we can go to retreats, we can read all the books, but as long as that inner child still believes the patriarchal beliefs that we inherited, we can't make any true progress. Mm -hmm. And that, that's really sums up the work that I do and why I do it is to help us to yeah, help the inner child heal so that all these, these uh, painful cycles can be broken.
0: And what books or podcasts on this subject would you recommend to our audience? Well, I would recommend my book.
1: It's called Discovering the Inner Mother, A Guide to Healing the Mother Wound and Claiming Your Personal Power. You can get that anywhere that books are sold. Um, That And then let's see what other books. I really, I mentioned her earlier on this show. I really love Janet Lansbury who teaches about respectful parenting. One of my other favorite books is, um, it's called The Emotionally Unavailable Mother by Jasmine Lee Corey. Um, Another great book that looks at the mother wound. Doesn't use that language, but she has great work on, you know, how to work with the inner child and how to make sense of the things that we feel. And so it's another great book. Um, that I would highly recommend.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Bethany, for coming on to the podcast. It's been a delight to have you. Thanks for having me,
1: Scarlett. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clarke, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organisation, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.